0: Hi everyone and welcome to Pay It Forward brought to you by The Fold. In each episode we team up two women from the same sector but at very different stages in their career. They share their wisdom and worries. This is Live Mentoring and you get to listen in. Today we're joined by two phenomenal sportswomen. The first is Susie Rogers MBE. Susie was born without a fully formed arm or leg on the left side, but has turned her disability into a superpower, winning six Paralympic medals during her former professional sports career as a Paralympic swimmer. We've teamed up Susie with Nikki Henderson. Last year at the age of 25, Nikki became the youngest skipper in history to finish around the world race. Welcome to you both. Um, I'd love to know how you both got into sailing and swimming. Susie, starting with you. Long
1: story short, accidentally which I often call myself the accidental athlete it did it wasn't um it wasn't something that I thought about when I was young I know Nikki's probably going to jump in and agree with me um it it kind of I, I always loved swimming and it was a hobby but I didn't think when I was growing up Paralympic sport sport for people with disabilities wasn't really that big uh, because I'm a bit older. Uh, So sort of 90s, early 2000s, no one really knew what to do. So very often in PE classes, I would sit in the library rather than, you know, being part of, of, of any kind of PE class. And I always enjoyed swimming, but I never thought I was any good because I'd be racing non-disabled people and they'd, you know, either be the same or faster or whatever. So I didn't really think of it as a career and I was very academically focused. So I thought, right, just put all my effort into that. It was only really at university. I think I went through quite a tough time, actually. I I found uni really hard. I was quite isolated. I was going through a difficult time with mental health and I just wanted an outlet. So... I joined a swimming club, but I decided that I would join a, a disability swimming club, and it was through that that the journey kind of started. I did it as a as a hobby, and then I graduated from uni and. Then when I was working, I got a job in London and I think it was around 2005, we won the bid to host the 2012 Games. And I thought, you know, what if I were to take this further? I knew I had the ability and the talent. I'd been told that by coaches, but it was like, you know, do I do this or not? And I saw an opportunity to train around my job. So I worked full time and I was training around that. I was like all over London commuting. Don't know how I did it now when I look back, but it it kind of led me into this path. And eventually after so many years, I made my way onto the national team and then the international team and that was it. So yeah.
2: And Nikki, how about you? It's funny we've been partnered together because also... um... Yeah, my childhood was very, again, academically focused, um, you know, series of sort of good grades and um, other extracurricular things meant that, yes, I dabbled a little bit in sailing, but um, never, ever saw it as a career. Left school and, again, similarly, it's funny this, mm-hmm. um, also suffered from some mental health issues, um, felt very lost Uh kind of felt the system had let me down you know I got some good grades and get into the university I wanted to get into and so sailing again was was really the reason um, or the place that I felt at home it, it, it was a, it was a place a community where I felt like I could um, use my other skills in life so less academia and more people skills leadership skills logic analytics it's quite a science with creativity kind of sport Mm -hmm. um so yeah so threw myself into it and essentially taught myself watched a lot of other people do it better than me and yes saw opportunities um to be in positions of leadership and um I guess a combination of of seeing an opportunity and also maybe um being a little bit naive as to the fact that not other young people do that and then Definitely, definitely, I was given a lot of big breaks. Um, people put their trust in me for whatever reason, and and those three things helped me climb the ladder. And then the culmination, I suppose, was the Clipper race in 2017. Um, and then since then, we're working out what's next.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, you were the youngest to complete that race. So, w- what stage are you at now? What are your sort of big challenges, and what's keeping you awake at night?
2: Yeah. So I finished the race in 2018. So it's a year and a half since then. And I'm, I'm really in a pivotal moment in my career. Um, I sort of rode the high of the end of the race with some more jobs and tried to find my path within the industry. And, and I've, I've hit a natural break. So I'm trying to work out exactly where it will take me. The, the career I've had is very multi-dimensional you know sailing is one side and you could say i'm a professional sailor and i could take that competitively further so i could go to the olympics as a new class in 2024 or i could do some more ocean racing on the professional circuit but then i could also take the leadership skills the team building skills um you know i've enjoyed writing and speaking so there's lots of little dimensions i could go in and how to do that intentionally i suppose I was going to say, I
1: think the important thing is that when you're the kind of person that sees opportunities and you're looking for different ways forward and that's how it, that's how it all works. That, you know, if I look back, um, being a little bit older than you, we established (laughs) the decisions I made and how I've got to the position where I'm in today, I would just say, you just, you just got to flow, you know, you've got to go with, with where it's life is taking you. And I'm a believer in that. I know it sounds a bit corny to say, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. But in many ways, I think it is. I totally agree. And everything is like a sort of a tapestry that you're building up as part of your life and the people that come into it. And and then it can take one chance conversation that can lead you down a certain path that I find so amazing. And you speak to so many people where it's like, if I hadn't have had that conversation, that would never have happened or I would never have gone that direction.
2: Yeah, Um, as my mum says, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Yeah, very true. (laughs) That's a great question.
0: Very true. <laughs> Susie, why did you um, step back as a professional swimmer? So
1: I competed at London and that was my first Paralympic Games and that was the one I was aiming for. So in my mind, I only intended to do that. I won three bronze medals in mostly freestyle distances. So I mean, you know, very, very happy with my results. But the one main race that I was ranked the best in in the world, well, sec- second in the world, was the 50 metres Butterfly in the S7 classification and I went in ranked second and in London I came out fourth and I've never had such a soul destroying moment. It just really, really broke me. And despite winning medals in other events, which is great, I just felt that I hadn't done enough to prepare myself properly. I knew deep down that it wasn't enough. And I think if you have any doubt, you've got to carry on. And so I decided I would go to Rio and compete there. And I did everything I could to convert that. And I did and I won it. And then I was like, well, that's what my goal was, Mm -hmm. was to, to do that. And I've learned from it. And, it, and actually, the outcome was probably less relevant. The winning was a, was a happy byproduct. It was more about the journey to get there. And once I did that, and I won the gold, I thought, well, you know, there's no further I can go here. You know, I've, I've done all I can in this area. And I, I'm a firm believer of moving on and moving forwards in life. I don't believe in just continuing to do the same thing over and over. I, I think life is about you know it's a short period of time and you've got to fill it with as much learning as you can so i think that is my that's what made me think right it's time to to step away although as i said to you you know it will be weird watching you know tokyo 2020 this year and not being there and seeing my teammates um competing and then just not being part of it so that will be strange but that's all part of transition so
2: so, so with that in mind if you had run, if you had won bronze um would you have gone mm. to another olympic games do you think aha uh-huh. because question. You, i think it's really interesting <laughs> that sort of what you said um i didn't feel i had done enough mm. you know had you really done everything you could yeah. and was it just that everyone else was well, three people were better than you that first year and did you do more yeah the next the next I, four years
1: the 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 second part yeah definitely i london i knew you know it deep down um, i hadn't really learned enough about my sport i was very new to it i was new internationally I'd only raced the year before. That was my first international was 2011 in Berlin at the European Championships. So it was only one that I'd done. And I literally then went straight into the, you know, to the, the deep end, literally and figurative, figuratively with London 2012. So I just didn't have enough time to learn. And I, you know, it had been really um, too quick so i needed more time to absorb my sport to understand my competitor landscape to learn and that's something i learned a lot from coaches from other teammates you know how to prepare properly the techniques that you can learn i found it quite interesting you know what works for me psychologically because it's all psychological mm-hmm. everything is psychological when you get to a you know a games um and i found that like i wanted to learn if i could control that so I'd actually scenario planned with my psychologist that there would be four outcomes and I was preparing myself for all of those four outcomes. So gold, silver, bronze, fourth, fifth, you know, all together. Yeah. So that I'd rehearsed those moments so that I knew that I was prepared for all
0: four. So even, even
1: if I... You know, and and obviously I would have reacted, but I knew that any one of them could have happened, but I did everything I could. So actually, if I'd have come forth again, I would have said fair fair play, you know. And still retired. Yeah, probably, yeah. Was it hard to figure out what to do next? Well, I had a career before, um, so I think it is easier if you've had that professional experience, you know what you're going back to, you can prepare yourself better. But I'd say transition is really, really tough. Um, you don't get a lot of support, you don't get many people, you know, once you're out of the system, um, and you're not on funding and, you know, you're basically just left to your own devices. It's pretty cutthroat. If it weren't for family and friends, those are the ones that have been there to support me. But, you know, those are the people that usually support you on the journey anyway. Yeah. Um, and yeah. your teammates. So, you know, but even your teammates, if they're still competing, they don't understand what you're going through. They, you can't really talk to them about it because they don't, they don't get it until they've gone through it themselves.
2: Yeah, it's a lonely, lonely place. It's a very, very lonely place. Like. Yeah.
0: yeah. Who do you turn to for support and advice, Nikki?
2: Um gosh, I wish I had a counselor at sea. That would be brilliant. No, I you need um, to take a psychologist, with you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> that would be a fascinating journey. Uh, my mum, um, my partner, uh, some friends. I, I I find it quite hard to 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 speak to people for advice, I think, because um because the time at sea is so unique and very very few people really understand what that's like um and i've I've, you know since tried to kind of explain some of the ways in which um it challenges you in sort of like in a term that you can understand you know back on land which is kind of um you know It's a bit like being in the office, but never, ever going home for, you know, five weeks, like Mm. all the time for through night, through day. And and you're always on call for five weeks and you don't get that kind of off switch. There's no downtime. Yeah, it's Mm. it's like an endurance sport. But, you you know, even like a, a marathon is an endurance sport, but you know that after 24 miles, 26 mm-hmm. miles is done. In a, in a race um, at sea, if the wind doesn't blow, you never really know when it is going to blow. So it's this sort of never-ending time. And um, I think it's that, it's that kind of glass of wine on the sofa, that going to the gym, that um, friendly face to talk to, um, something to totally distract yourself. I miss that.
1: Did you, when you were in that situation in the boat with your 24 crew Mm. and you're leading them, did you have like some kind of system where if you needed to vent or you were just having a bad day or you were just like, I'm so tired that you'd like pair up with people or you'd have something, some strategy to kind of get through that? So you're not, so people are not kind of bringing the team
2: down? In a lot of ways, I harboured that myself. And I think, you know, like, as you said, sort of you did your first Olympic Games and then you learned lots about, Mm -hmm. especially your your mental state of mind that you would, you then did differently the next time. And I think I would take things like that forward Mm -hmm. and um, think of better ways to cope with it. The problem with being on a boat is ultimately you are in charge, you are the leader. And I have learned that... Whatever you can say about leadership and, you know, it and I do believe, yes, it's important to be vulnerable and it's important to say how you feel and it's important to be open. But ultimately, if people need you, then you come second as a leader, I think. Um, you can't be seen
0: to be having a bad day.
2: I think you can, but if a storm blows in and you're having a bad day, well, it's slightly, you have to sort it it's out. It's slightly
1: different, isn't it? Because it's a bit life and death situations, which is not really that often that you, you know, Yeah.
2: if something were to go
1: wrong on a bad day in the office, you know, it's not like dangerous. If you're on a boat out at sea and like a massive storm comes or something, I'm just hypothetically, because I've not been doing this myself. <laughs> sort of realistic, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's, that's something that is like, if you don't make strategic decisions where you're not panicking that you know it can risk people's lives and it can be quite yeah. dangerous so yeah
2: yeah you just you, you basically get used to sort of putting the mask up like getting back on stage um as I like to say like yeah. in a, in a in a slight way you're a bit of a performer there is a theory, a lot of theories around leaders having sort of a performer Um, mindset and then they in their private time they sort of recharge and then they go out and they be a leader again and that's basically what you do but just on a massive scale so Mm. you're at sea for five weeks rather than
0: Mm.
2: one day well I was going
1: to say how I normal (laughs) it's the opposite how I normalized the environment because like a lot of people ask you when you're an athlete you know how do you cope with millions of people watching you how do you cope with like thousands in the crowd I mean London about 17 and a half thousand people watching how do you cope with that with the pressure? And I was like, you just, you just do not think of that. You, you have to switch off, but also you have to normalize the situation and contextualize it. So in that situation, I'll be like, look, this is a race. This is not life and death, (laughs) you know, like it's just getting from A to B in the pool uh, and then it'll be over. There will be pain, but it's temporary and it will stop. As soon as you touch the wall, it all goes, you know, it's all in your head in many ways. So it's kind of different, but you know, yeah, the, perfor- yeah. the performer thing is the same though, because I, I would all, you know, the best race I had was the one in Rio. And the reason I was prepared was because I was looking forward to doing it. If you go out and you're like stressing about it, you're thinking, what's going to happen? Overthinking it, your body starts to tense up, your muscles tense up, and then that's it. You've lost your rhythm, you've lost your stroke count, you've lost all the things that you've like focused on and rehearsed because you're just stressing but if you go out and you're relaxed and I was it I was un, it was unnerving I you know I was having an out of body experience when I went out for my final in Rio I was like why am I so calm this is really <laughs> really odd but you think I would I would know that I would be like that but I just felt ready and and it was just something in my mind was like this is it this is the right moment and I thought you know this is a stage I'm a performer give the crowd something to enjoy whatever happens happens and
0: you know Do you you miss that element of performance and the adrenaline? Um, No, (laughs) I I look back with
1: fondness at at it and I think that was a magical thing to go through. But the months and build up of stress that I went through and, you know, I mean, I lost about six kilograms of weight in three weeks in Rio because I was just stressed. (laughs) I mean, when I'm stressed, I don't really want to eat. So, you know, it's not healthy to be going through that all the time. And, and, you know, some people probably coped a lot better than I did, but I just would get so, like, wound up that I was just burning off nervous energy. I can honestly say it took me about four months after the games to properly come down from feeling like I had adrenaline permanently running through me. It was almost like my brain had got into that pattern of, like, startle mode and that it couldn't let go of it. And I still find it creeps up sometimes when I'm having, like, in a stressful situation those familiar feelings and those physical symptoms that I would get when I'm really overly stressed will come back and then I have to like use the techniques I used as an athlete to calm myself
2: down again it's interesting it's like um shows how much it meant to you yeah probably
1: yeah shows how much it affected me on a deep level I mean was that self inflicted
2: pressure or was that pressure oh yeah from I'm a people? total
1: perfectionist it's no one but me I've always been like this, but I don't know if you're the same, but yeah. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah. The, 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 words yeah. I'm not good enough resound quite strongly. Yeah. yeah. sort of yeah. like you could always do better in it's, a way.
1: It's a constant battle I have. And it's something that people tell me a lot. And, and, you know, my family are like, why can't you just be like, okay with like the amazing things that you've achieved, but it's always more and more and more. Uh, it's quite hard. It's quite hard when you're that kind of a character. But, you know, equally, I look at the positive of it. it, you know, it makes me a doer. And I'm always looking for the next thing like you are. It's the next thing and the next thing.
2: How are you working through what you're going to do next, Nikki? Initially, it was um, cry a lot in bed and, and think the world's going to come to an end. And then and then I pulled myself back together again. And uh, I've got some mentors. So um, I have a female mentor within the sailing community, which is I think is really important really because good, yeah. it's a really, really male dominated industry um she's older than me and honestly it's just someone to remind me that i'm not absolutely crazy to feel intimidated by the fact that i am working in a man's world still and i and and that it that does put up barriers they shouldn't stop me or other women um but it's still okay to feel a bit overwhelmed by it so um she's kind of helping me within that zone. Um, And then funnily enough, I did a talk and uh, a man just approached me afterwards and said, I'm really fascinated by your story. Would you like some coaching? And actually I've just made this relationship with, uh, he's retired, he used to work in business and he's just someone to, he's really fascinated with people and and he mentors a few others and and that's really, really helpful. Mm,
0: Helping you to plan your next Mm. step.
2: Yeah, just someone to listen. You know, people aren't that good at listening, actually, (laughs) I've realised. But when someone does, it's so effective. Um, Someone who maybe has a similar mindset or can listen to what you're saying and draw things out from it so you're not burying your head in the sand. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. Did you have anyone? Yeah, absolutely.
1: 100% agree with mentoring. Totally think it's brilliant and worthwhile. Um, I've got several mentors, but one in particular, Alice, who I... Was paired with through actually a, a program run by Ernst and Young, but it was it's a, a women athletes business network program, and they pair um, business leaders, female business leaders, with athletes all over the world. And I got paired with Alice, and she's just this amazing force of nature, and gives me such great advice. And I'll, I'll just drop her a message and say, you know, just need your opinion on this, and she'll be brilliant at coming back to me and giving some really like quite quite sort of removed advice, so she's not emotionally involved. Um, but, but gives me very, very, you know, clear things that I can do. Um, I think it's so helpful when you're unsure, uh, and more so someone that doesn't know you very well, because I find that family, friends can know you too well. So you don't really want to go to them because they're going to be emotionally invested. So they, they don't want you to be upset or anything. Whereas, actually you just want sometimes some some critical but like good critical advice like not you know critical friend that's what it what it is yeah
2: and maybe someone who's like slightly higher up in your career or industry really really does help i think if and, it's a blank path ahead
1: yeah and like you say men and men or women you know equally you know i don't think there's any reason to pair women only with women you know i think it can be it's just individuals and what you can learn from that person their journey you know
0: mm-hmm, yeah mm-hmm. Nikki, is there one burning question that you have for Susie?
2: I actually have lots of burning questions, but I'll just try and oh. narrow it down a one. <laughs> no, I'm um, I'm quite interested to know, you know, what what motivated you to um, to keep going, you know, in those dark days, because I know that. I can relate to you a lot in that your character is is a perfectionist. You Mm. want to do well, um, but you know what was that like? Burning passion inside. Was it imagining winning, or was it something deeper? Or it wasn't imagining
1: winning. No, Um, it was. I think I think there's always a a little bit of a drive to prove myself. And I think that partly could come from the fact that I'm not only a woman, but a woman with a disability. So I've got a double discriminatory whammy. Um, Love that. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, it well, it's intersectional. So it, it, you know, and sometimes I wonder which one is is worse, or if they just complement each other. But. Um, I think that desire to prove that I'm equal to everybody else and just as good as everybody else. So I think that's a driver just generally in life. And I think that went in the swimming, that goes in my professional life. I always have to be good at what I'm doing. I always have to prove that I'm capable. And then hopefully that inspires other people to think perhaps if they have disabilities as well, I can do the same thing because I think we need more role models out there Mm. I also just like learning and I like the journey of learning and I like pushing myself physically mentally I love challenges and I think you know sport is a challenge I'm now doing a job that's very incredibly you know intellectually challenging that's just as interesting I'd say there's no difference between the two it's always about like learning more and expanding what I know and just using the time that I have to learn as much and do as much, you know? Does that yeah, answer the Yeah, no, question? it definitely
2: does. Challenge, proving yourself, proving yourself to yourself as well as other people. Yeah, probably yeah. to myself
1: more than anything else. What motivates you, Nikki?
2: I really, really, really love people, making people happy, mm-hmm. seeing what people tick, seeing how they act um, in situations where they are put under extreme pressure or different groups how they interact together I think I get I sort of feed off the energy from other people in a lot of ways Mm. in in an academic way I'm actually sort of introverted in the way I I sort of rebuild on my own just it's so it's teams leadership is so fascinating but it
1: sounds like you really like the psychology side yeah (laughs) Yeah. I do
2: I do but I also do relate also to just the challenge like if you see a challenge it's like it's irresistible, you know, just, just mm. dig your teeth into it and say, yeah. give it a go. I, I always used to say to myself, I wish I was one of those people that was just okay with just like riding the middle wave, you know, but like, actually, no, I want to push really high and I'm going to have to deal with the lows afterwards. And that's just the choice I made. Mm-hmm. Cece, what would be your
0: one burning question for Nikki? Well, actually, I do have two. Can I have two? <laughs> so, So
1: the first one would be, I I just, so I love all things ocean conservation. Um, I'm an ambassador for the Marine Conservation Society. I'm very, very pro-marine conservation. So what's it like just being out in the middle of the open sea, which is nothing, no land, just you, the boat? I mean, did you like see anything incredible or witness anything that just has stayed with you? And, and, you know, can you just describe that if you can in words?
2: Uh, Like the feeling of ultimate freedom like you you go up on deck and um you look around and you really something about being in nature but the thing with the oceans is always moving it's always fluid and you sort of and there's this energy around it which is you know rhythmic while also not rhythmic and very random um and you're kind of moving with it it's and it builds a sensory experience. So you are moving with the ocean, you can hear um, the waves and you also affect the noise of the waves on the side of your boat. And then of course you see, and like the the sun sets and the sun rises just out of this world. There's there's a moment um, at the beginning of the day nighttime always seems to bring storms and Mm -hmm. horrible weather and the moment the sun rises and that first kind of break of dawn and generally most of the crew are asleep and the stillness is you can't really find I, I think the only place I've ever found it is um is at the top of a mountain it's like that really really calm stillness and yet you're still moving it's it's a hugely connected feeling and it's really interesting because i really when you mention ocean conservation and um and caring for the environment and and that that connection with with the ocean i really genuinely think if if everyone who wanted to get involved in ocean conservation could experience what the ocean is like in that sense so no engine using mother nature to move to live um the the hunger to protect it would be so much higher
1: I I totally agree and I think when you mentioned at the beginning energy I just such a believer in that like people aren't aware of it's you know it's around us all the time and the objects around us and you know we're in very urban environments where it's very hard to be connected with nature but it's so powerful for you know for mental health and for you know, I mean, I feel alive when I'm near water because water to me is an energy that I, well, I feed off it, Mm -hmm. you know, it was my sport, my career. It was about that because I was never as an athlete fighting with the water. I was always working with it. I was trying to be one with it. And I think absolutely it's managing it, working together. Absolutely. And now I do, you know, open water swimming and I'm out and in the sea, um, you know, and, and, it can be cold
2: (laughs) that sounds freezing
1: yeah but I but I love to be in it I might even if I was on a boat I probably would want to be in that water you know because for me it's just being in there and that connection with with it but the energy and the way you talk about it moving I mean it's just so cathartic and so magical and like you say if people experience that wow you know they'd get yeah yeah and can I get another quick one in go for it what was it like sailing on the boat with Greta? Because I am a huge fan, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just think she's she amazing. I, I mean, I'm boat. just so hugely admiring of her and and her bravery and her courage. So, you know, what what was that like? Uh,
2: sailing with Greta was uh, an experience I would never have predicted. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, it was. It was. I felt very, very honoured. To mm. be honest, I got to know someone in a very personal context um, who honestly has the influence to really radically change people's opinion and potentially the world. She's someone who has such a huge sense of purpose. I've never been around someone with such a strong identity and sense of purpose. She really knows what she's about and what she believes in. And what you see on TV or on stage when she's speaking, she is that. I mean, she she really believes it. And I actually think that's pretty much the reason why she has become this icon. Mm. Because um, I suppose if you were to make it really simple, she's just leading by example.
0: She's absolutely remarkable. We'll try and get her on an episode yeah. of Pay It Forward. <laughs> I wanted to ask you both about your style and how it's evolved over the years and whether you think... What you wear matters. Susie. easy. Definitely. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my style is,
1: it's tricky because when you have a disability, so I wear prosthetic limbs on the left side and it's not the easiest finding clothes that are, you know, if they're in fashion, they're probably not going to be practical for me. So when I was a teenager, I remember just being a little bit unsure of my own style because, I was like well I can't wear that because that will show my leg I can't wear that and and when I was younger I tried to hide my disability I would wear deliberately wear I don't know there was a phase where the three three quarter length sleeves were in and um I would wear them all the time even in summer to hide the kind of join of my arm because I just didn't want anyone to see I, I didn't want to be noticed I wanted to disguise myself um and I think it's it takes a lot of a lot of research on my side, a lot of looking to find the kinds of things that will suit me and my figure. I think it's very tricky when you have a disability to find the right stuff. But there is, there are things out there that can be flattering, but it takes a lot longer. But it makes you feel like a million dollars, you know. I mean, I got, I spoke, I speak often at, in, in, at conferences. You know, I can't wear heels, but you know, I think right, okay, I'll adapt it. So I wore this jumpsuit once to to speak at a massive com- global conference. And um, I mean, it made me feel great. And it just gave me that confidence. And I think it is, I mean, clothing can be hugely, it can really help you. And, you know, the clothing industry as well has a lot to play in climate change as well. So there's like, the fashion industry is very important. And we, you know, we can't definitely need to, you know, look at it from a kind of inclusion angle, but also a sustainability angle.
0: At what point did you stop disguising your disability? Um,
1: not until probably I was competing because I was forced into a situation where I was on camera without like wearing my racing suit, which is basically if you've ever seen a swimming racing suit, they don't leave, they leave little to the imagination. So I was basically standing there with this (laughs) tiny little swimsuit on with my prosthetics on show my arm wasn't on. So I was like, well, I've got to get over it now because everyone's seen me as I am. Um, So actually sport did help with that because it, it made me think, well, I can't hide this anymore. I've got to embrace it there's still an element of me that does try to hide a little bit and to cover up but I'm learning it's a it's a journey it's still one that I'm on for sure.
2: Nikki? You wear a swimsuit and I wear so many clothes I can barely move. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, Yeah on on at sea sailing clothes it's fair to say um, leave much to the imagination you basically just wear like dungarees and a jacket so yes style on the boat less important practically practicality, practicality very um no when i get to shore style is massively important as i've got older i've realized that because at sea you tend to lose your identity yeah. which in a way is the beauty of it because it's a very leveling environment boys girls young old we all wear the same thing so on sh- on land i try and have tried more recently to be deliberately very feminine in what I wear. Mm.
0: In terms of supporting other young women and paying it forward, is there anything you're doing, or there any quotes um, that have really stuck with you? I can give you a quote, definitely, that I I think is is a
1: really good one. Is that everything in life is either a victory or a lesson? No such thing as failure. Um, and that was something that I didn't come up with myself. Uh, But it was actually at a conference with a lot of other female athletes and we were all sort of sharing stories. It was straight after Rio. So I was I was like meeting them and chatting and um, one of them had had heard this from someone else. So this phrase had had carried on because, you know, we were trying to move away from negative, um, negative wording and just be like, you know, don't always beat yourself up if you fail. Because as a perfectionist, you Mm -hmm. tend to be like, well, that was terrible. I would, you know, I failed um it's all it's all part of the learning journey so I kind of like that that one
2: funny I also um so I've been trying to focus a lot of my speaking around um, younger people and younger girls particularly in in schools and stuff um in this mean in this sort of gap while I'm working out what I'm trying to do and I do also talk about failure and something I'm pretty passionate about is um having failed and 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 won lots of times Mm. is that no one tends to talk about the emotion that comes with failing. And I think especially for girls, especially if you're a teenager with a lot of hormones flying around, um, dealing with the emotion uh, Mm -hmm. is the hard part. It's actually, how does it feel? Not, oh, I failed or I've won. Um, And so just giving them ideas and, um, you know, suggesting ways in which they can build that resilience to deal with that and and also to help them realise that they're not alone and we all feel those feelings.
1: By all means listen to people that have experience and have been there done that but also you know your peers or people younger also have ideas as well and it's same goes for us.
2: I was going to say if if there was one thing about leadership I would share with people it would be that I think if you look at the best leaders you know they are also probably going to be the most humble people, yeah. you know. The best and leaders don't know everything. Or, yeah, or they admit, admit they don't know everything. Exactly. Yeah. They they, as you say, yeah. always have someone they can learn from. Yeah. Definitely.
0: Brilliant. Um, thank you both so much for your time. What inspiring, fabulous, phenomenal women! Um, thank you, Susie and Nikki. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of Pay It Forward brought to you from Madeira at Treehouse London. If you loved it, make sure you subscribe and please rate and review us to spread the word and pay it forward. For any links and key takeaways, check out our session notes.